great stories, Steve. And uh, really, really, I, I guess you could talk all night about some of these uh, some of these stories. I'm going to move you on to your the end of your playing career, if I may. Um, painful memories, I'm sure. You were still in the prime of your years. Um, tell us about how that injury occurred, what you went through, the emotions, and how you dealt with that time, which must have been a low time for you, I guess. Well, yes and no. <clears throat> Interesting times because um, I hold the record, which I don't think will ever be beaten, for the most number of consecutive games for United. I've never really been injured. Uh, I went four seasons without missing a game. I think uh, 207, eight games without missing a game. So I've never been injured. Um, and we played to qualify for the 82 World Cup. I think it was in November of 81. We played Hungary in what was the qualification game. We knew if we won that game, it was at Wembley, if we won that game, we were going to qualify for the World Cup. <clears throat> and we won the game 1-0. I seem to remember Paul Manning scored. And halfway through the second half, I was taken on the fullback and he came at me. It was a bad challenge. And I went down, and you know the feeling I had was a like a firework going off on my knee. But I'd never been injured before, so I didn't really know: is this bad or is it? This is what knee injuries feel like. And I drove home that night. You know, in those days after the England games, you used to get in your car and drive home. So I drove home that night. Next day, I go into. Uh, the, the cliff, the training ground for Man United. Physio looks at it. And I had what I knew I had what we call lax cruciates. I had a sort of wobbly knee, which he'd always told me was good because that meant it was it could withstand, you know, a lot of shock it. So he said, Well, you know, it's, it feels a bit loose, but you know, we'll, we'll give it some rest and see what happens. So I had it in my mind I wanted to play in the World Cup. So I had a rest for about three, four weeks, didn't play. And then I felt as if I could play. So I started playing in the team. But it was very much play. My knee would swell up, take three, four days rest, a little bit of training, and then play again. I didn't want to have surgery before the World Cup. I knew there was something not right there. Didn't want to have surgery because I thought if I miss six, eight weeks with a cartilage operation, I'm not going to be selected. So I more or less played through it. Got selected, played the first three games in the World Cup in the first group stage, and it was different then. Yeah. We had two group stages. I remember it. Mm. Second group stage, we were with Spain and Germany. And we drew nil-nil with Germany and a drab affair. And then the night before the Spain game, my knee was swollen. And prior to that, I'd never, ever had an injection in my knee. I refused point blank to have one. But I'm thinking, we need to beat Spain. You know, this could be, you know, massively, massively important. So I had a, um, a steroid injection in my knee that evening. And I had a bad reaction to the steroids. 
and I, I came out in a sweat and couldn't sleep and I was ill, vomiting. And uh, I remember like two o'clock in the morning, Ron Greenwood coming into my room and just saying, listen, Steve, you know, it is what it is. We can't mm -hmm. do it about it. You know, I'll, I'll make other plans for tomorrow. So I never played in the Spain game. But that World Cup, we weren't beaten. Yeah, nil-nil again, wasn't it, I think, from memory? Nil -nil again, and we came home. And I went more or less straight to have surgery. And at that time, it was the introduction of arthroscopy. Uh, and I had surgery with a gentleman called David Dandy in Cambridge. And um, I always remember waking up from the anaesthetic after the surgery. And he, he said to me, oh, Steve, he says, um, how long do you intend playing football for? <laughs> so I thought, oh, blimey, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> I said, well, I just signed a five-year contract. And he went, hmm, yeah, maybe, maybe. So I knew it wasn't good. And from then onwards, I, I struggled for probably 18 months. Uh, every time I played, knee would swell up. I'd have to wait four days, and then I could train or play again. Ironically, I started playing some of my best stuff then, uh, but it, there was no future in it. And mm. I got another knee surgery, same cycle would repeat itself. And I had a third knee surgery in a very short space of time. I woke up from that and the doctor said, listen, he said, if you want to walk around in your 40s and 50s, he says, I, I advise you to finish. So I finished. It was sort of matter of fact. It broke my heart overnight, I would say. Yeah, I'm sure. It was one of those, you know, <clears throat> what's next? And... In the April, I think it was, I went to the Football Writers' Dinner in London. Yep. And I met, I was in a group of about five or six people and introduced to Ron Nodes. And Ron Nodes, at that time, had just appointed Dave Bassett as manager. And we were literally in conversation, I would say, for 10, 15 minutes. Then we had the dinner. I was a guest of somebody else. I wasn't on Ron's table. And... Um, Four, five days later, Dave Bassett resigned, and I knew that Ron was going to call me. And true enough, a couple of days later, you know, the feeling I had, it became concrete. Ron called me. He says, you know, do you fancy coming down to London and have a chat about the job? I got the train down, <clears throat> met Ron and Novello, his wife, and his family. He showed me around. Um, you know, what, he, what were your first impressions then of Sellers Park? Yeah, what was the, what was the dream that he sold you? No, he didn't sell me a dream. I, I don't think I'd ever played at Sellers either. What were your I first impressions then, Steve, of Sellers? <laughs> well, he um, <laughs> he took me to his house first. He used to live in Wallingham. I went to his. We had a nice house in Wallingham. Took me to the ground, you know, Sainsbury's and all that. I'm looking at this <laughs> supermarket behind the goal. What's going on? It's not football. Not football as we know it. Mm. You know, the, the far end, what is now the, the stand, was just a, a big terrace. Yep, sure was. Yep. And we went, we went to Mitcham, the trading ground, which similarly wasn't that impressive. <laughs> which was a park, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was different. But I'm thinking, you know, this is second division. I'm thinking, I'm... I'm not going to get better than this. 
and you, you have that feeling inside. And Benham, I played for United, I'm thinking the United way of playing, I'll just transport it to become the Crystal Palace. But you haven't had any coaching badges done at this point, though. I've done my prelim badge, that's all. Really? Because I was playing all the time. You know, I only just started on the journey of being a coach, and only because the PFA encouraged it, not because I, you know, in an ideal world, I'd have played till I dropped 36, 37, 38. Yeah. And, you know, I had no desire. I, I was thinking when I was playing, you know, 200 and odd games without missing a game, I'm thinking, you know, I'll be burnt out by 35, 36, 37. I'll play till I drop and then see what happens. So I had no real designs to be a, a coach. And it was only the time spent in Amsterdam where I thought, well, there's something ticking away in here. You've got to give it a bash. Most comes. Yeah. So Ron, Ron asked, you know, the job's yours if you want it. And uh, <laughs> he said, have you got any uh, ideas about uh, an assistant manager? And at the time, my only idea was Michael Doherty, Tommy Doherty's son. He was a good coach, and I knew him reasonably well. And I said to Ron, I said, uh, well, Michael Doherty, I, I, I would have a, a serious conversation with to see if he'd be interested. And he said, um, would you meet with Ian Evans? He says, he's a real good lad. He's, uh, you know, Palace Connections. He said, I think that would be an advantage for you. So I said, yeah, great. I met with Ian Evans and, you know, we, we hit it off straight away. And I thought, yeah, you know, big tough will do for me. And <laughs> it was the best thing Ron could have done for me because tough was fabulous. Great coach. He took care of coaching almost every day. Uh, he, was, he was great mentality. I have a tendency to be dour. He's just funny. You know, he's a big, funny man. He lightens the load wherever he goes. Still now I see him and, uh, you know, it's good to, to catch up with him. So the two of us started, uh, I'll tell you exactly, I was on £17,000 and he was on £13,000. Wow. And, uh, yeah, we... Uh, that's, that's a week, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we started off and we looked at the team and it was... You know, it, it wasn't inspirational. And we we went, we started training at Mitchum. We, we didn't really have enough kit for everyone to train in at the time. Mitchum, you know, for those of you who ever went down there, remember it. You know, it should have been condemned, condemned about yeah, five years yeah, previously. Yeah. It wasn't the best place. Morris Drew at the groundsman, who was also the kit man, was absolutely brilliant. How they got those services playable for 10 months of the year, you know, he, he was a miracle worker. We had some really good people. That's why we did all right, although the first year was horrendous. Right, go on in, Joe. Well, this lead on to, uh, to better times. Ian Wright. Yeah. Mm. How, did, how, did you find, <laughs> how, did, how did you find out about him? And well, did you think that he would go on to be... <coughs> Ian Wright was part of a process we soon developed. We got we had no money. When we first got there, we, we had no money to buy anyone. You know, our, our Brian Sparrow, again, God rest his soul, just passed away recently. Yeah. He was a free transfer from Arsenal. Tony Mahoney was there. Um, 
Ron let me buy. Uh, I'm just trying to think. Who did we buy? We we bought a couple of players, but they weren't significant massive signings. And it, it was almost as if Ron was saying to me, you know, we haven't got the money to buy these, but we'll buy them and we'll buy hook and by crook, we'll pay for them. Alan Urban. He was at Everton. Uh, he came as right winger. Uh, we'd agreed, I think, at one stage by Chrissy White from Arsenal, but we couldn't afford to follow Just through on the, on the deal. So we had to send him back. Uh, you know, it was real hand-to-mouth existence. So very quickly, we had John Griffin, who was our part-time scout. He was a cabbie. Uh, Peter Prentice, who worked down at the training ground, he used to go out scouting games. And very quickly, we'd all just go out scouting games because we were desperate for new players, but we knew we couldn't sign them as such. We had to acquire them. And part of that acquisition process was we let it be known. Alan Smith, of course, who became my assistant manager, when I started, he was in charge of the reserves and the youth team. And he also had a full-time job in the city, yeah. <laughs> working for a property company. He was terrific. Yeah. Used to see him 25 past 10, driving down the long driveway at, at Mitchum, undoing his collar and tie, <laughs> all his suits in the changing room. He'd train the reserves and the kids. As soon as that was finished, he'd be back in the car, driving back up to the Strand where his office was. You know, it was a real strange. You know, in comparison to what they have now, it was CT of pants football. And we let it be known, we went to loads of non-league games, we let it be known that if any of the non-league managers wanted to come in and watch us train or come in for a cup of tea or whatever, they'd be very, very welcome. And we, we started getting a few non-league managers who'd come in, and one we got to know very, very well was Billy Smith, who at the time had managed Dulwich, he managed, I think... When Ian became available, he was managing Carl Shelton. Okay. And he came in one summer. He worked in the flower market, so his day was done like 10 o'clock, and he'd come in and watch his train, have a cup of tea. We got to know him well, and he was great for us. He was real grounded, good bloke. And uh, he came in one day, and he said, uh, he said, oh, Steve, he said, we've got a little kid who's playing with us. He said, he's, he's terrific. And I said, oh, that sounds good, Bill. I said, uh, how old is he? And at the time, I think he was 21. <laughs> so I said, oh, 21. And at that stage, you're thinking, how did he get so good? How did he get to 21 without being picked up? Has he been anywhere? Has he been rejected or anything? He said, no, I don't think so. Well, I think you're 21. He said, you know, send somebody along to watch us train. This was like June or whatever it was. So I sent Peter Peter Prentice along. I said, just go and watch Carl Shelton train and see what this kid's about. So Peter comes back and he said, oh, he's interesting. He's good. So I said to Bill, I said, Bill, any chance we can invite him in three days training? He said, yeah, yeah, no problem. So he comes in, he trains, and I'm, I'm looking at him. And after the first day's training, I'm thinking, something's wrong here. <laughs> Left foot, right foot, quick, good in the air, 
and thinking, what's, what's the flow? He must be egg. There's something wrong. <laughs> and he was polite. You could tell he had an edge to him. Mm. He was desperate to be successful. You could sense that straight away. On the third day, I said to Bill, I said, he wasn't contracted to them. I said, listen, Bill, we'd like to sign him. And I phoned Ron up. And I said, we've got to sign this fella. I said, uh, I'm not going to believe what I'm about to say. I said, but this kid's got enough ability to play for England. And this was after three days training. Oh, with us. Good call, Steve. Good call. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't have to be a rocket scientist to work it out. <laughs> right in front of your eyes. And he came on a pre-season tour to us. We went to Exeter University. He came and played. And he was raw. You know, he was really raw. He, he didn't really understand football. Great footballer, but he didn't really understand football. So for a year, he became super sus. Mm. Uh, you know, he'd come on, make an impact. Crowd began to love him, saw his enthusiasm, his work rate, his energy, everything about him. And uh, I could be getting a knock on my door Monday morning. Why aren't I playing? <laughs> well, Ian, you know, you're just learning the game. Be patient. It will happen. And with time, it did happen. But one of the most important things that did happen was Mark Bright. Mm. Because I always say Mark Bright probably taught Ian Wright how to be a professional. So Mark would stay behind, smashing the ball into an empty net. He, he was, you know, really good pro, Mark. Selfish pro. Mm -hmm. You know, I always remember we played Birmingham, I think it was. And Dave Sexton always used to say, as manager of Manchester United, the perfect game is 6 0. 3 0 at half time, okay. 6 0 at the end. I mean, we, yeah. beat, we beat Birmingham 6 0. In Birmingham. So for me, I'm thinking, this is brilliant. Get into the dressing room. Brighty's there throwing boots. This is crap. This is rough. He hadn't scored. <laughs> We'd won 6 0, but he hadn't scored. You know, he didn't cross it when he should have done it. And rubbish. And Mark, because of his intense professionalism, taught Ian, and they became really tight. They'd stay behind after training sort of feeding each other to practice finishing. You know, they became, obviously, what Palace were about. You know, everything, everything was designed to give them as many opportunities as possible to score. We were direct. And, like, one of our players was Val Ismet, who's now at... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We signed him from Stuttgart back in the day, and as I say, we were direct. He came in as a a very uh, cultured centre-half. <clears throat> and, you know, he was right. We, we passed the ball out from the back. And, no, we don't. Not from what his hands. We were forward and wide. We didn't always hoof it. We had to go wide. And it went wide, so then it had come back in to feed our centre-forwards. Yeah. You know, it, there was a real structure to what, what we did. You know, it could be primitive. We could match up with people. If people wanted to play, we will play. If they wanted to, you know, mix it, we could mix it. And we had, you know, I always said success in the championship in particular. You're two strikers and they don't have to be the same two people. 
your two strikers are going to score you at least 40 goals mm. to be successful. That was my sort of mental formula. And, he, you know, obviously with them two, we had that in abundance. But it was because the way we played, get the ball out wide, get the crosses in. 